This morning, our text begins in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13, familiar words, forgetting those things which are behind. I'm quite sure I know why I was picked to preach on this subject of forgetting. You see, I am probably the most forgetful pastor on staff. I could call on people in the hospital, come back. Steve asks, where have you been? I say, at the hospital. Oh, who did you call on? Um, I'll tell you in a minute. Um, I report prayer needs sometimes to pastors and forget names in the middle of it. I had a busy day yesterday and went home, kind of work on the message, got in the car, headed back to our church, halfway back to church, and I realized I had forgotten my message on forgetting back home. So I feel eminently qualified to talk to you about this brilliant but forgetful. All right, this uh, responsibility will begin with me in Philippians 3, and then Steve will uh, finish the uh, straining toward and moving on, uh, pressing on for the prize. I really uh, uh, believe that anyone who wants to move forward in 2009 has to forget some things about 2008. I don't know about you, but I have some things I'd like to forget about 2008. I'd like like to forget all the money I lost in my 401k. (laughs) I'd like to forget all of the political scandals and all the moral and financial fiascos. I'd review them for you, but I really mean it. I would like to forget them. And I'd I'd like to forget last summer's gas prices... And I have a few other things on my list, but um, Paul tells us this morning that it, this business of forgetting things which are behind is essential to the Christian life. And the context for the exhortation in verse 12 from the KJV says, not as though I'd already attained, either were already perfect. And the, and the word attained means to arrive at a goal, and perfect means full, grown, or complete. So what the Apostle Paul was acknowledging was that he had not fully reached or attained the place of absolute spiritual maturity. Now that's something to think, that even Paul was in a process. And so he goes on in verse 12 and he says, I press on to take hold of that which Jesus Christ took hold of me. That word, taking hold literally means to bring down. When I, when I see this, I see uh, a man tackling, a, a football player tackling another uh, football player, and he brings him down and he makes him his own and he demands that the runner's will become his will. That's, what, that's how Paul described the Christian life. On the Damascus Road, Jesus took hold of Saul, who had been a persecutor of the church, and he said, now you're going to be a sent one to the church, an apostle to the Gentiles. And in Philippians chapter 3, Paul declares his intent, now I want to take hold of that which God has already taken hold of me. Oswald Chambers once wrote, we are not here to work for God because we have chosen to do so. We must only do that which God has apprehended us for. What a perspective that gives to the Christian life. Instead of inventing good things to do for God, we are here seeking 
the concept of, God, what do you want me to do in 2009? I want to take hold of that which you have taken hold of me. Now, many Christians fail to get involved in that process simply because they cannot forget the things which are behind. Many Christians fail in that area. Probably an example of that is Lot's wife. She looked back and became a pillar of salt. Some of the most unhappy people that I have known in my life, constantly looking over the shoulder, and the very act of looking over your shoulder throws you out of the stride of moving ahead. So I want to talk to you very briefly uh, this morning about three areas that I think we need to forget. First one is past failure. Please connect with me in an interesting moment in the life of Moses. God had just called Moses to be the leader of the nation of Israel. And how did Moses respond to God's call? Exodus chapter 4 and verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. What was Moses' problem? His problem was that he had not been eloquent up to that point in his life, and God was placing on him the responsibility of being the leader of a nation. He was divinely commissioned to lead Israel with a mouth that had not previously functioned well. What must Moses forget? He must forget how inadequate his mouth was to be the leader of Israel. It's quite obvious from the context that Moses must get a vision for who had made his mouth and how God would be with his mouth. Now, to bring this into our lives today, I would say there's probably a 2008 failure in your life to be forgotten. Can you think of it? Can you bring it up on the screen? What failure are you carrying with you into 2009? I would suggest you need to forget your past failures. Secondly, and we usually don't think about this, but I think we need to forget our past accomplishments. I want you to consider with me a New Testament character, the very familiar character of Peter. Just before Christ's trial, here is what Peter said to Jesus. Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Now, Peter had a privileged Position among the disciples, Christ had committed to him the keys of the kingdom. Christ had told him that upon his confession of faith, the church would be built. Peter was in the inner circle. He had been privileged to see Christ's transfiguration on the mountain. But on this day, Christ is about to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter is so intoxicated with his own position and his accomplishments that it leads him to failure. And he ends up denying the Lord three times before the rooster crows. And Christ has to literally correct him after his resurrection. And three times he asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? And finally, Peter is able to forget his past success, his position. And on the day of Pentecost, Peter now gets up in a new The new Peter emerges and 3,000 souls are saved. And Peter heals a cripple at the door of the temple. And some of the sick in Acts chapter 5 just want Peter's shadow to fall on them so that they can be healed. And 
Sometimes when people are successful, they are cut off from future blessings. God's going to ask you to do something in 2009, which you perhaps were successful at in 2008, but you need to forget that past and say, God, I have a whole new opportunity to walk with you and to to experience your power working through me. When I was a student uh, at a little Bible college in um, Iowa, I had the privilege of serving as the music and youth pastor, and uh, one of my responsibilities, believe it or not, was directing uh, a choir. And I had pretty, honestly, I had a pretty phenomenal choir. A lot of good singers, and I had this lady who was a soprano that could really make the chandelier shake, and, and uh, it, it was, I mean, she was good. And when she would, she, she would rise, the whole choir kind of rose with her, and, and I just really uh, came out of that experience feeling like I was something pretty special, I guess. I don't know, could direct choirs or whatever. And so God called me to Waterloo, Iowa, and um, in the midst of my ministry there at Waterloo, I had an entirely different uh, uh, responsibility. It was actually a bigger church and a bigger choir, but there was this lady and she deliberately plopped herself down right in front of me every week and every time I would direct that choir. And I, I can't explain what came out of her mouth when she sang, but it was just awful. And I, I, someone should have told her a long time ago that that was not her ministry or calling or whatever, but they didn't get around to it. And uh, I would uh, talk to Carrie about how frustrating it was and how I was getting headaches and I'd never had headaches before. And and all of that. And in the midst of all of that happening in my life, God showed me I had to forget this previous successful ministry I'd had, Little Church, Ankeny, Iowa, and accept that God was going to do something entirely new through me. Now, I know you all want to know what happened to the lady. And, and I, actually, I think this is kind of miraculous, but I prayed for her. I began to pray for her. And one day she came to me and she said, you know, Gary, I think I'm just going to have to drop out of the choir. <laughs> and I said, really? <laughs> <laughs> the third area that I want just very quickly touch on this morning, we need to forget past conflicts. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 6 to 8, when the men were returning home after David had killed a Philistine. The women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing and joyful songs and with tambourines and lutes. And as they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. And they have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but with me only thousands. And... Saul was destroyed by David's military success, the admiration of the crowd for him. And many people, as they roll into a new year in 09, they're carrying conflict with people in 2008. And little do they know they're being destroyed by these unresolved conflicts with people. Do you have one? Do you have someone, if they walked into church today and you saw them, you'd say, oh, no, he's here or she's here? Or can you honestly say that you could look anyone in the eye and say, all known conflicts are over between us? 
As you know, I've had the privilege of working in ministry for a long time. And I want to just tell you a little story about a man named Burke Bickle. About 30 years ago, I called on this man who was affectionately referred to as Uncle Burke. Uh, Uncle Burke was mad at the church I pastored. I never really knew why, but somebody said I ought to go and call on him, which I did. And in the middle of the discussion, I asked him if he would name his offenders. He knew their names, knew them well. I didn't know them. I didn't recognize any of them. Later, I found out that many of them had died. Some had moved into other towns, but none of them were a part of our church now. And yet his life was being hindered, held back by unresolved conflict. There's one thing I've learned in the ministry of CRM. I've learned that most addictions, most of the struggles that we hold on to are connected with a person. An unresolved conflict, maybe a mom, a dad, maybe a brother, a sister, someone in your life right now. But when we have unresolved conflicts, it holds us back from what God wants us to do. So this morning, I just want to say to you, and this is going to kind of just lead into what Pastor Steve is going to share with us in a minute. If we really want to have a successful 2009, there's some things you're going to have to forget about 2008. Can you forget the past failure? Can you forget the past accomplishments that you've been able to do for the Lord? And can you resolve all known conflicts for the glory of God? I want to just briefly pray. Father, these are wonderful admonitions from your word today. Help us to do them. Help us to respond to them in the grace of God. And help us to move forward 2009 for your glory. In Jesus' name. 